turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 8. While you do, uh, we mentioned uh, Miss Anna's home going this morning. I'm not sure if we have mentioned the uh, arrangements, but I want to mention those now. Uh, the viewing will be from 5 to 7 on Tuesday at Weaver's over here on Western with the service at 7 o'clock. So uh, I encourage you to come, be a comfort to the family, and uh, and, and celebrate. And that's why we gather. We, we gather to celebrate. Amen. Uh, we don't we don't gather to to mourn. We gather to celebrate because as believers we have something to celebrate. Amen. And so I encourage you to come be a part of that on uh, Tuesday evening. Another thing I wanted to mention to you that I want you to be praying for uh, is this morning after the service uh, they had to take uh, Mr. Daniel Hedrick, uh, and that is Carolyn and Sam's. Uh, son, the one that just got married, uh, got the kids uh, with him, and uh, had Bree, his wife, they were all here today, had to take him to the hospital. And uh, Daniel has a lot of health problems. Uh, he had cancer when he was a young man, went through extensive radiation, things like that. And um, he's been past that a long time, but he's been having a lot of issues over the past couple of years. They've mentioned prayer a lot for him. And uh, the most frustrating thing about it is they can't get answers. They don't know what's wrong with him. Uh, but he was having, you know, numbness in his extremities and then some pain, dizziness, things like that. They took him to the hospital. He suffered a seizure there, and uh, they have him at the emergency room, at least last I heard, and they were running an MRI and trying to understand something what's going on. I want you to pray for him, but don't just pray that he gets better. Do pray for that, uh, but pray that the doctors would, would find out what's wrong with him. He's been to all sorts of specialists, had all sorts of tests run, and uh, and everything, and they've never been able to find what's wrong with him. And so I want you to be sure and be praying for them. I know the family covets your prayers in that matter. Judges chapter number 8, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 22. I want to read to you a little episode out of the life of uh, one of the Old Testament judges, a man by the name of Gideon. And I want you to say a word about his life and, and a cautionary tale uh, for us tonight. And uh, I pray we'd examine ourselves, see if we are headed down the same path that Gideon was headed down. The Bible says in verse 22, Judges chapter 8, verse 22, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. It's a pretty good statement. He seems to be doing well, seems to be in a right frame of mind. But then notice verse 24. Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand seven hundred shekels of gold, beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here. Thank you for a good service this morning, how you met with us. But Lord, tonight we've come for a fresh truth and a fresh message and a fresh work for you to do in us. So I pray that we'd have our hearts open to it. And I pray that we'd allow you to work in us that which would please you and that which would make us most into the image of Christ. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, I love you and I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Gideon is one of the most fascinating figures in all of the Bible. You know, the book of Judges is a time of confusion 
a time of disobedience, a time of compromise. And when you study the lives of the judges, it's interesting. When a society begins to degrade, when it turns its back on God, even its heroes are complicated individuals. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, even the people that God uses seem to be mired with all sorts of compromises and flaws and failures. And one of the things I love about the Bible is it never puts man on the pedestal. It always puts God on the, on the throne. And when you study the book of Judges, there are all sorts of people in the Old Testament that they had problems, they made mistakes, but never do you find the warts of humanity so prominent than you do uh, in the book of Judges. You think about, for instance, a man like Samson, who was a judge of Israel, who was used of God, who had the endorsement of God upon his life. And yet, when you look at Samson's life, it is mired with mistakes and carnalities and flaws and failures. And you say, well, preacher, why is that? Well, because, listen, uh, even, how do I say this right way? How a nation lives matters. And God is God is faithful and God is just and God is in enough control to use imperfect human beings for His perfect purposes. And that's true for you, you and me as well. I'm glad, listen, if God couldn't use imperfect people, He wouldn't use me ever, amen? But it doesn't change the fact that when the entire sort of spiritual temperature of a society degrades, I mean, listen, I would hope we could find someone more spiritual than Samson to deliver us. But even in those times, even the greatest of men we find to be flawed and complicated and compromised. And Gideon is a man who who fits this bill exactly. In fact, the first time we find Gideon in the Bible... Uh, It's in Judges chapter number 6. The children of Israel are oppressed under the hand of the Midianites. And the first time that we find him, he is hiding behind a threshing floor, threshing his wheat, scared that the Midianites are going to come and take it away from him. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and he he calls his name Gideon. The name Gideon means a, a feller or a person that... Not a feller, amen. I mean, he is a feller, amen. But... Someone who fells trees or cuts down trees has the, the imagery, the idea of someone that cuts others down and carries the connotation of a great warrior or a man that achieves great feats. And when the angel of the Lord appears to him, he says, uh, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And he's saying this to a man that is hiding behind a threshing floor so the Midianites don't take his wheat away. And he says, thou mighty man of valor. And God begins to work and use Gideon in a remarkable way to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of the Midianites. I wish his story ended with that victory. Because to be honest with you, when you study his life, that victory was the high point of his life, and it only goes downhill from that point forward. If there was ever an example of a man that spiritually peaks and then slides into backslidden decline and and disobedience, man, it's Gideon. Because the rest of the story of his life is about how though God used him to do a great thing, he did not continue to walk with God in integrity, and instead his life and his family turns into an absolute mess. And they become a contributing factor in the chaos and societal confusion that plagues the book of Judges. Here in our text... Uh, this evening, we find him immediately after the battle. Uh, the Midianites have been subdued. And the Bible tells us that at the close of this battle, uh, the children of Israel come to him. They want him to rule over him, over them, and he refuses to do so. 
But he does make this request. He asks for all of the golden earrings of the prey. The men, the uh, kings and, and, and men of the east, as the Bible describes them, uh, the sort of uh, you know mercenaries that the Midianites had hired to fight this battle with them had been slain whenever the kings of Midian were taken. And they had collected from them all these golden earrings as the Ishmaelites were wont to wear. Gideon, seeing an opportunity for enrichment, he asked for these to be given to him. And the Bible tells us that the men willingly gave them to Gideon. And then Gideon takes those things, has them melted down. The Bible says he made an ephod. Now, an ephod was sort of a a vestment that the Old Testament priest would wear when they would go and appear before the Lord. It's a distinctly priestly garment. And uh, Gideon had no business with that garment. He was really setting up sort of a, a false form of religion for his own self and his own household. The Bible tells us that him making this idol caused the rest of Israel to fall into idolatry and to follow him and even his own family. Now, here's a man whose life begins with victory, but it ends with idolatry. Can I say, listen, if we're not careful, it don't matter how many victories God's given us, we likewise can find ourselves falling into idolatry. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, turning your trophies into idols. Gideon would have never been in the place he was without the goodness of God. And you would think Gideon would say, a God that's been so good to me, I could never stray from Him. But you know, as is so often the case in our lives, we often take the blessings of God and allow those blessings to become barriers and stumbling blocks to our affection of Him. Men, many a person, God's blessed with a great job, then that job became more important than the Lord. Many a person, God's blessed with a wonderful family, and pretty soon that family became more important than the Lord. Pretty, yeah, There's been people God has blessed with great talent and great ability. didn't take long, and that talent and that ability became more important to them than the Lord. You say, preacher, what are you saying? They turn their trophies into idols. We need to make sure as God works in our life that we never allow anything, even those things that are the token evidence of His blessing and favor in our life. And let me say, for most of us, as Bible-believing Christians, we're not in danger of going and finding a little golden Buddha to set on our mantle and worship. But what we are in danger of is allowing the good things in life, sometimes the things that God has given us, the evidence of His goodness, to rob us of our affection from Him such that we idolize the gift above the giver and our life becomes about the blessing instead of the Lord that is blessed forever. When I read this passage, I see a cautionary tale of what can happen to a person when they allow something, even a good thing, even a thing God's blessed them with to become too important and to outsize and outshine the Lord. I want you to notice three thoughts with me and then we'll be done tonight. Notice with me number one Gideon's testimony. Now this passage begins well. And I I, I like Gideon's disposition. I like his attitude. I like the things that he says in the opening verses of this passage. It's evident that Gideon seems to be in a good head space, in a good heart space, when we see him in these opening verses. Notice four things that God had given him that Gideon could give testimony of. Let me say, number one, when we approach this passage, not even in our text, but it is the context of our text, God had given him a great victory. 
His life is defined. It's almost like a a setting that a beautiful gem is set into is the victory over the Midianites. I don't think we can rightly appreciate what a what a a massive victory, the magnitude of this great victory that it was. The Bible describes the Midianites when they are encamped against the Israelites as being like the grasshopper. In other words, this was no small army. This was no auxiliary detachment. This was the full mustered force of not only the Midianites, who were one of the chief countries in that part of the world, but they also hired mercenaries to come and to pick up the sword. I mean, undoubtedly, you're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not more, people that are gathered in that valley set against the children of Israel. We know the story of how that God raises up Gideon He sends the word out and how that thousands come to answer the call and they rally to the banner and how that God looks at Gideon and says, it's too many and tells him to go out and tell him if anybody's fearful or afraid, let him just turn around and go home. And uh, let me say this, if you join the U.S. Army, don't wait for him to do that for you, amen. They're not going to do that. They'll take you even if you're afraid. If you'll fill boots, that's all that matters to them, amen. But uh, the Lord says, no, says if you're fearful or afraid, just go home and thousands go home. And the Bible describes how that Gideon, he thinks he ain't got enough. God still says he's got too many. Instead, God says to Gideon now, take him down by the water and have him drink. And how that some knelt down and lapped with the hand and others uh, put their head down next to the water and began to drink. God said, separate the men accordingly. And send some home that had drank a certain way. After it was all said and done, Gideon and 300 men stand against the entire mustered force of the Midianite army. So much so that Gideon, he's terrified to go out to battle. And God has him go down and to spy out the camp of the Midianites. He overhears two of the Midianites there talking. One man talking about a dream that he had had where he saw a a cake come tumbling uh, into the camp, and he describes it as a prophecy of how God would overthrow the Midianites. He says, this is the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And sure enough, you can read the story of how that God takes those 300 men, surrounds the, the army of the Midianites, causes them to shout, to blow the trumpet, to break the pitcher, to shine the light, to confound the Midianites, how they fall on each other and begin to slay each other. And then the men up on the hillside, the 300 with Gideon, all they had to do was just flood down in and clean up the mess and chase down the stragglers. And on that day, God had given him a remarkable victory in his life. Can I say that in your life and in mine, if we would really think hard, we'd realize that we've had victories no less dramatic, no less spectacular. It may have not happened on a battlefield, and it may have not happened with a mustard army, uh, but we've had uh, victories in our life that just as surely took the providential hand of God to orchestrate. Every victory you have in your life has come from God. It's not come of yourself. God giveth the victory. God fighteth our battles for us. I see that God gave him victory. Then in our text, verse 22, the Bible says this, The men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also. Notice that God gave him authority with the people. He was a natural leader in the sense of his story was appealing to men. One of the reasons that God... Uh, commanded Gideon to uh, purge the group of soldiers that were following him. As he said, if I allow you to win the victory with more, then you'll vaunt yourselves against me and you'll claim the victory unto yourselves. But if I send just those 300, uh, then they'll know that God must have given the victory. It's an interesting thing that mankind does in this 
text, when he cannot attribute it to a great fighting force, he instead attributes it to the brilliance and command of a general. And seeks to find some way to rob God of his glory and instead looks at Gideon and says, well, you must be the reason that we won this great victory. Gideon being sort of a folk hero, we might say, amongst these men at this point, God had given him great authority in people's lives. Can I tell you, hey, listen, if we have any authority in people's lives, God has given it. Amen. If we have any entrance or open door into men's lives, it's because God has given it. And let me say, if God has trusted you with authority in someone's life, that's a precious thing. That's a hallowed and sacred stewardship that God's given you. I see God gave him victory. I see God gave him authority. But then I see God gave him glory. The Bible says at the end of verse 22, this is why they said that, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. Again, I'll not belabor the point, but just notice how determined and dogged man is to not give God the glory. And instead they look at Gideon and they say, Gideon, you've delivered us from the hand of the Midianites. Now that may not seem like much in the context, but you know one of the things when you look at Gideon's earlier life, I say early, I mean literally just a matter of weeks or months prior to this, one of the things that Gideon does because of his zeal and fervor for the Lord, as he goes and he cuts down the bale of grove, the, the grove of Baal there in the land of Israel. Now, that in and of itself would have been enough to get him hung or get him burned or get him stoned to death by those men. But even beyond that, his daddy was the chief worshiper of Baal. And so they, they come to him and they say, your son has cut down this grove that we made to Baal. We need to take him and we need to kill him. And his father, I guess, unwilling to turn his son over to a certain death, says, well, if he's offended Baal, let Baal contend with him. And that got Gideon a nickname, Jerob Baal. It means let Baal contend with him, or he contends with Baal. And this was sort of the name for him as a fighter of idolatry in that community and amongst those people. And this was the man that just a few weeks earlier they wanted to stone to death. This was a man that just a few weeks earlier they wanted to saw asunder and hang from a tree and burn his body. And now here's these very men saying, you're the reason that we're all living this day. God had vindicated him. God had justified him in the eyes of his neighbors and his countrymen. And God had permitted him to have a, a portion of glory unto himself. You know, I will say this, all glory belongs to God. But I'm glad one of the things God's going to do when we get to heaven, He's going to glorify us. God does not begrudge us glory as long as we give Him glory. And part of the reason I think God gave Him glory in this situation, you say, now preacher, it was men that said this. Yeah, but God could have stopped the mouths of men. And He permitted them to attribute to Gideon this great victory. Why did He allow that? I think it's because of verse 23. Because Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. God gave him victory and God gave him authority and God gave him glory. But all this and only because God also gave him humility. I love his answer in verse 23. That's how we should be. When men seek to heap praise upon us, when men seek to heap authority upon us. Now I understand there's biblical scriptural authority and it's, it's, listen, it's, it's not a party. Uh, it's a mandate, and it's not a, a, a joy ride, but rather it's a stewardship. And there's a place for biblical authority, undoubtedly. But when men seek to have authority over other people's lives, uh, I don't know about you. I've thought about this a lot. I, I, this is a little sidebar. You ready? This is sermon sub point four, uh, paragraph three. 
Me and my wife have talked about this a lot. We've talked about why politics is so wicked. And I've often thought to myself, you know, there was a time that we had statesmen in our country that viewed the notion of engaging in politics as a civil service, as something they were doing for the society because they didn't get no money out of it at that time. You know, when our founders established this country, it was with a citizenship uh, Congress. And that's, by the way, why Congress takes recesses for like 40, 50 days at a time. You know why? That was instituted in the early days so they go home and tend to their crops and, 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 and see to their fields because they weren't making a living by ruling and governing over people. And I've told my wife often, one of the reasons we have such rotten politics in our country is because you mm, get mad at me if you want to get mad at me, but there's got to be something wrong with you if you want to run other people's lives. <laughs> You know, like if men came to me and said, hey, listen, Toby, you could run for Congress or you could run for Senate and you get to tell people what to do in life. I'd say, I don't want to tell people what to do in life. Really, I'd love it if I didn't even have to tell myself what to do in life. (laughs) There's something wrong headed and there's something warped about the notion of just desiring to be able to govern people's lives and and forfeiting a profitable role in society that we might wield a scepter over mankind. And and Gideon, I love his answer. Gideon says, I don't want to rule over you. I have no desire to govern you. He says, the Lord will govern you. And I will say this, that the men that God use with authority, they have a right appreciation of what a burden authority is. And when we read this passage of Scripture, I find that it starts off, man, in a good way. I mean, if Gideon had stayed this way, if he had stopped there at verse 23, we'd today be singing the praise of Gideon. Every problem in Gideon's life comes really from this verse forward. And if he just stopped there by saying, you know what, Israel has a king and that king is the Lord and it's not my place. I didn't win the battle. I didn't get the victory. Give God the glory. Look to him. Gideon would have been doing all right. But the passage doesn't end with Gideon's testimony. It begins with Gideon's testimony. And in verse 24, we begin to see Gideon's temptation. The Bible says, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you. Now understand and and remember with me for a moment that what he's about to ask, he can only ask because God has given him a victory. Had he not had that victory in his life, he would have felt no compunction and no No authority to ask what he's about to ask. But God has blessed him. God has favored him. And instead of turning back and seeking to bless God with that, he instead, he seeks to cash in on it. Now all of a sudden, where in verse 23 it's all about the Lord, in verse 24 it becomes all about Gideon. All your problems and my problems in life start when it starts to become about us and not about him. I tell you, one of the ways that you can vouchsafe your life is just make it all about God. Make it all about Christ. Make it not about your personal advancement, not about your opinion amongst men, not about your enrichment, not about authority and power, but instead make it about the Lord and serving Him. God will be behind you in that endeavor. And God will help you in that endeavor. And Gideon, he goes astray whenever he makes it about Him. Notice the start of his temptation. Verse 24. Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. Notice how it starts. It starts with a desire. Desire in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. But understand that desire is the path that temptation always takes in capitalizing upon us. 
The Bible tells us that every man is tempted in the book of James when he is drawn away of his own lust. In other words, God does not condemn the compunction. God does not condemn the desire. But He says if you let that desire drive you and draw you, then it will not be long and you will go astray. Every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and tempted. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And it all started with a desire. We need to view ourselves as the gatekeeper of our desires. We shouldn't trust them. We should vet them. Uh, We live in a world that says if you want something, it must be wholesome. Just by den and by nature of the wanting of it, it must be wholesome. Uh, We're in what society calls Pride Month. I think that's a pretty good name for it. Pride. Pride Month. I tell you, you'd you'd have to have fleshly pride to want to vaunt yourself against God the way this society does. One of the themes of it is that there's no such thing as corrupt or vile love. That all love is good and all love is wholesome. Now, we know that's not true as Bible believers, but I just want you to understand that the same spirit behind that which is wicked, the same attitude behind that, the same worldview behind that, which is wicked, is just as wicked when it tells you that because you want something, it must be okay. The very same attitude that tells them that because they want something, it must be okay, is the very same attitude that makes you yield to temptation when you say, because I want it, it must be okay, and I must deserve it, and I must have it. I see that it started... With desire, I see not only the start of his temptation, but I see the substance of his temptation. He asked for the earrings of their prey. In other words, these men in battle, they had slain and killed their foes. And when they did, they would have, have, have sort of raided and pillaged their body and taken anything of value. And all of these men in this army were running around with earrings in their ear. The Bible says why they did that, verse 24, for they had golden earrings. This is why, because they were Ishmaelites. Now, I don't understand everything culturally behind that. I understand that the Bible means for us to infer and means for us to realize from that that their wearing of these earrings were kin to their, uh, uh, their, their cultural identity, their national identity, their ethnic identity as Ishmaelites, that this was a part of, of who they were as Ishmaelites. But I just want you to simply notice this, that these are the descendants of Ishmael. Ishmael, of course, was the... We could say firstborn son, although not the the firstborn legitimate son of Abraham. He was the firstborn son of Abraham. And he was the son of of Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. And he was not the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise. But rather, listen to how he's described in Galatians 4.22. It says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Notice not only what he desired, but notice what he disregarded. He disregarded the source of these earrings. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't think there was anything magically accursed or corrupt about these earrings above anything else. Nor do I think that it is incidental or accidental that the Holy Spirit goes out of His way to tell us that the whole reason they had these earrings was because they were the descendants of Ishmael in the first place. You know, a lot of times, one of the things the Holy Ghost does, I'm glad He does it, is He connects dots I'm too dumb to connect. And what He's doing is wanting us to understand that the thing that allured Gideon and the thing that tempted Gideon and the thing that drew Gideon had a source in Ishmael who is a picture of the flesh. And I would just say this, that 
It's not wrong to desire things in our life. There are things that it is wrong to desire, though. It's not wrong to desire things, but there are some things that it is wrong to desire. And even things that maybe intrinsically in and of themselves are not wrong, when they are rooted in the flesh, they become wrong for us. You say, preacher, how do we know if it's rooted in the flesh or rooted in the spirit? Well, i got a real simple principle for you. Will God let you have it? Can you have it with the blessing of God on your life? Can you have it with the favor of God in your life? Can you meet the Holy Ghost in the altar and say, Now, Lord, this is what I want, and the Holy Ghost of God doesn't smite your heart and your spirit about it. Gideon, he disregarded the source of these things, and he did not take into account likely that these golden earrings were a a symbol or a token even of their pagan worship. So how do you know that, preacher? Because they all had them. I mean, likely this was their idolatry that he was importing into his life. Likely they had worn these earrings as some sort of mystical totem in their mind of their God's favor and of their God's blessing as they went onto the field of battle. And Gideon never stops for a moment to think, you know, maybe it's not the best thing in the world for me to take the world's idols into my home. A lot of parents have the same attitude. Surely there's nothing wrong with taking all that this world preaches and all that this world presents and all that this world promotes and bringing that into my home and bringing it into my children's lives. We better have sense enough to look at it and say, what's it rooted in? Is it rooted in the flesh or is it rooted in the spirit? I see the substance of his temptation, what he disregarded, disregarded. But then notice the supporters of his temptation. Or I'd say this, notice what he discovered. Verse 25, they answered, we will willingly... Give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. I'm going to say a word here in a moment about how valuable these earrings were. We can't say with certainty, but we can get some idea by comparing the weight and the current prices of gold. But I would just make note of this. These were valuable things they were turning over. But when Gideon wants them, not a one person balks at it. Instead, when Gideon's wanting to take these things into his home, he has plenty of people around him that say, Gideon, we'll help you do it. And can I tell you, man, this is one of the things that, that, I, I, that has become obvious in, in the era of social media that we live in, is that if you want to do wrong, you'll always find people that'll clap for you while you're doing wrong. You'll always find people that'll make you feel like, like you're okay. All of social media is a CIA program. It is. It is. Facebook was started with CIA money. But at the end of the day, I don't think men took into account the sort of warp psychological conditioning it would create to be able to build and curate this little kingdom and only include in it people whose opinions were, were compatible with your manner of living. You know, that's part of the reason you need a local church. You need somebody that will stand up and tell you the truth, even if it makes you mad. You need somebody that will look at you and say, you're wrecking your marriage. You're wrecking your kids. You're wrecking your testimony. You're wrecking your life. And instead, where mankind has atomized itself, withdrawn itself into itself, and and created this little digital kingdom curated not with friends, but with fans and followers. People that will clap for them when they do wrong. You know what they found? There's always somebody, if for no other reason because they want you to validate their sin, they're willing to validate your sin. We find that for Gideon, when he wanted to go down this road, hey, there's plenty of people willing to lend him a hand and help him go down that road. 
You'll find often in your life when you make up your mind to serve God, you're going to have to walk that road alone. But if you're wanting to go the devil's way, there will always be people that will be traveling companions. I see the supporters of his temptation, but then I see the strength of his temptation. The Bible describes these golden earrings in verse 26. It says, the way to the golden earrings that he requested was a 1,700 shekels of gold. Now it goes on to describe other uh, spoils that he had taken, but just that 1,700 shekels. What is that? How's that valued today? I think we, maybe we'd struggle really to put it in terms. And I understand you can't always compare apples to, to apples with, with ancient economies. There's a lot of things that were different. But according to the commentators that I've read, 1,700 shekels, it measures out to 70 pounds and 10 ounces. This was no small bit of, of gold. This, 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 this wasn't no gold coin somebody bought you for Christmas or you bought from the radio advertisement. This was a whole truckload of gold. 70 pounds and 10 ounces. In troy ounces, that'd be 1,030 ounces. If we were to look at today's gold prices, which are always in flux, but if we were to just look at a typical price today of $1,960 per ounce, which is pretty pretty common, the amount of gold that was given to him would have totaled in today's money $2,018,800. You say, preacher, all he wanted was a few earrings. That's not how he would have looked at it. I mean, it would have literally made the difference for him and for generations of his family getting this. Can I say the devil, he don't always just tempt us with poor, pitiful, paltry temptations. Sometimes, man, he can flash some impressive things in front of you. Sometimes he can really make you think he's going to give you something that will turn your whole life around. And I'm sure Gideon thought to himself, if I just take these earrings, it'll change my whole life. And oh, how right he was. How right he was. That's how the devil is. He don't tell you the whole truth. But a lot of times he don't even tell you a whole lie. He just tells you half a one. And half a truth really is a whole lie. Just as he did in the garden. Uh, ye shall become as gods knowing good and evil. That was true in a sense, but not in the sense that Eve heard it. And he wasn't revealing the sense in which he meant it. And you know, that's how the devil is. My preacher used to say all the devil's apples have worms in them. All of his nickels are plug nipples, uh, nickels. All of his uh, diamonds are plastic diamonds. Everything that he's got always has a backside to it. And always has another story to it. And every bit of it always has something that will bite you. The Bible describes sin being like an adder uh, that always biteth at the end. In other words, before it's all said and done, it's going to pay you a cost. I see the strength of his temptation. But notice in closing with me Gideon's tragedy. So when we come to this passage of Scripture, it opens with Gideon's testimony. Man, everything's going well. God gave him victory. God gave him authority. God gave him glory. God gave him humility. Gideon seems that he is set up to be a lifelong noble judge over Israel. But then it all changes with his temptation, with what he desired, with what he disregarded, with what he discovered, and with the strength of the temptation that drew him in. Notice verse 27, how it all ends. The Bible says, And Gideon made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Can I tell you, and the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, Can a man take fire into his bosom 
and not be burned. Hey, listen, we can't play with sin and it not affect us. We somehow condition and convince ourselves into believing that we can. But it is a truth of the universe that we cannot dabble in sin without it destroying us. Gideon engages in this sin and we find that it not only destroyed him, it destroyed his family. And not only did it destroy his family, but it derailed the entirety of the nation of Israel. You know, there's no telling where the effects of your sin will reach. It's not just you. Often we would say, well, I'll pay the price in my life, but it ain't just your life that your sin affects. How'd this happen? Well, notice, number one, the place that he presumed. It's interesting. Idolatry, these idols couldn't be made anything but idols. And, you know, you at the end of the day, you can't change the nature of idolatry. It just stays what it is. And so Gideon, he made an ephod thereof. He made a Jewish form of idolatry. You say, preacher, why was it idolatry? Because it wasn't the effort that God had designed and dispensed and given to Moses in the commandments because it wasn't the one that the high priest wore. So what was Gideon seeking to do? This was often the case. And in fact, later on in the book of Judges, we find another example of a man by the name of Micah who seeks to make his own house of worship. He's of the tribe of Dan. And one of the things that was that was symptomatic of societal confusion and spiritual decline in the nation was that all of the sudden their worship become uh, unconformed to the word of God. The Bible describes it as saying every man did that which was right in his own sight. And all of a sudden their worship was just this is the way I worship. Can I just say this? Hey, listen, God ain't, uh, worship ain't about what you want. It's about what God wants. We shouldn't worship and say, well, this is the way I like to worship. It ain't, it ain't about how you like to worship. It's about how the God who is worthy of the worship wants to be worshipped. And so one of the symptoms, and we're seeing this in society today, as we, as we degrade as a people, we find that, that worship, if we want to use that term, is becoming less biblical and more personal in its form and in its nature. And here's what Gideon's wanting to do. He doesn't want to travel to the tabernacle. He doesn't think he should have to travel to the tabernacle. He says, I will instead make an effort and I will be a high priest unto myself and unto my family. He's saying, I don't need God to do this for me. I don't need God's way and I don't need God's processes. I can instead do it my own way. How many times have we in our life when God's blessed us, God's favored us, we've allowed that to give us a swelled head and a prideful perspective such that we began to believe that it was of us and not of God and that we didn't need God after all. Let me tell you, pride is an addictive thing. I see the place that he presumed. I see the problem it produced. He set up a false form of worship, and here's what people did. They worshiped there. The Bible says all Israel went thither a whoring after. That should be no surprise. Hey, listen, if you make something more important than God in your life, don't be surprised when the people watching your life think it's more important than God is. If you teach your kids that 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 uh, other matters are more important than the house of God and the word of God and the truth of God and the testimony of God, don't be surprised when they grow up and don't think any of those things are that important in their lives shouldn't surprise us. Hey, we don't get to live in this little fantasy bubble where our actions don't affect people. Here's, here's the problem it produced. He said, I'm going to create a new form of worship for me. But it wasn't just for him. There was other people followed it. How many times do we see examples in Scripture of people going down a path of destruction only to drag their kids and their spouse and their family and their loved ones and their neighbors 
down that same path with them. And that's what happened. I see the problem it produced, but then finally I see the pitfall that he provided. The Bible says, which thing became a snare unto Gideon. You know how we'd say that? It got him. It got him. That's what a snare is, right? It's a trap. It's a way to capture something. And we see a man who had the blessing of God and the favor of God, but because when God blessed him, he did not give glory to God. Instead, he sought to advance himself. He took that trophy and turned it into an idol. And the sad tragedy and testimony of his life going forward is not one of nobility. It is not one of integrity. It is not one of separation. It is not one of the blessing of God. But it's one of confusion and family destruction. We'd say it got him. It got him. He created this thing and he set a trap for himself. And pretty soon the trap sprung closed. <laughs> I've done this in my life. Most of my biggest, most of the, the biggest holes I fell in are ones that I dug. I mean, I, we can all pretend like it's everybody else digging holes. But the truth is, the deepest, darkest holes I fell in are the ones that I've dug. And in my life, you say, preacher, what's the best thing that you can do to avoid that? Well, number one, get rid of the shovel, man. If there's something that's leading you in that direction, get it out of your life. But then, too, also lean upon the Lord day by day for His guidance and instruction. It became a snare unto Gideon, but not only unto him, unto his house as well. It's interesting, the next few chapters of the book of Judges describe the societal confusion and chaos that ensues after the death of Gideon. Gideon goes on to have 70 children, uh, what we would call legitimate born, and then one illegitimate child, a man by the name of Abimelech. And the Bible will go on to describe how Abimelech would slay the other sons of Gideon and would wrest the crown. There wasn't even supposed to be a crown. God was their king, but would wrest the crown away, not just away from his brethren, and not just away from the rest of the Israelites, but from God himself, and would presume to make himself a god over the land of Israel, and a king over the land of Israel, until finally, in ignominy, he was slain. In other words, everything went to pieces. And when you look at Gideon's life, prior to this moment, there's nothing we could point to that we'd say, that'd destroy a family. This is the moment in his life where he threw his entire household away over these earrings, over this wealth, over this trophy and this glory that he sought to claim unto himself. I've often thought to myself, you know, there's there's generational um, strongholds in people's families and homes. And I don't mean some spiritual perspective when I say that. I just mean a lot of times drunkards raise kids who grow up to be drunkards. It's not always the case. It doesn't have to be the case. But there's a lot of people that are drunkards today. If you used to go to them and say, how'd you become drunkard? They'd say, well, my daddy's a drunkard. And if, if the daddy wasn't dead, if you'd asked him, he'd say, well, my daddy was a drunkard. But somewhere along the line in their family, there was somebody that wasn't a drunkard and somebody that decided to become one. Same thing's true of abuse in kids' lives. A lot of people uh, that abused children would tell you they were, I don't know how true, but they would say that they were abused when they were a child. And often when you go to that person that abused them, you'd find out that they were abused by a child. You go further and find out that that person was abused, probably by a Catholic priest, but um, somewhere back down the line, there was somebody that made a decision to destroy something 
to destroy lives. Hey, somewhere, somebody that was living in victory threw it all away for a big pile of gold. Somebody threw it all away for a measure of glory. Somebody threw it all away for a moment of pleasure and began and set in motion a cycle that would tear and devour generation after generation after generation until the grace of God just finally steps in and stops it. You say, preacher, how does that happen? Well, I don't think Gideon intended for his family to be destroyed when he asked for these earrings. I trust he loved his children. I trust he loved his wife. I trust that he loved his family. I trust that he loved his nation. I trust that he loved his God. I don't think he said, you know what would be good if I ended this day by just wrecking all of it? But instead, he was not vigilant. He was foolish. He tripped into folly and he allowed this trophy, this evidence, this token of God's favor and blessing in his life to become more precious to him than God himself. And it led him down this path of destruction. I hope God gives you all kinds of trophies. I hope He gives you all kinds of victories in life. I hope that your life is like Gideon, that it's defined by the victories that God gives you. But understand that every victory comes with a responsibility. And every victory comes with an opportunity to go astray as well. And if we're not careful, we'll let the trophies that God's given us become idols and lead us astray. Let's bow together tonight. A musician's going to come play. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord. I don't know what he may have dealt with you about. You know, preaching like this, things are said. Sometimes there's things said. I'll have people come to me and say, Preacher, you must have known, and I didn't even notice I said that. And the Holy Ghost of God has a way of administering a service and dealing in hearts. And there may have been something said that most people wouldn't have even noticed, but the Holy Ghost took it and shot it like an arrow into your heart. Or it could be that the very thing that was preached on is the very thing God dealt with you about. But I'd just advise you this. If God dealt with you about something, why don't you meet Him in this altar? Don't let the devil have his way. Don't let the flesh win out. But instead, bring it to Him and submit yourself unto Him. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus, Him alone. We ask it in Christ's name.